Shake it up, shake it down, move it in, move it round, disco baby. Move it in, move it out, move it in and about, disco baby. and welcome to another episode of Pod Stallions. I am Brian over here in Canada, and over on the other side of the border is my pal Jason. How are you, Jason? I'm very well. Hello, everyone. Nice to be back with everybody. And Um, we're joined by a special guest today, right? Yes, we are. This is uh, an old friend of mine named Steve Kozak. Steve, say hello to everyone. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. Steve and I go back farther than I care to recall. Um, but we worked on a show many years ago in Hollywood, and he has been working in television for 25 years um, as, uh, well, many, many facets, a lot, a lot to do with clip licensing for shows. Uh, but he's done lots of stuff. He's worked on Whose Line Is It Anyway? and um, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He's been on Jimmy Kimmel's show now for a long time. And um, he's got a, a long history of, of uh, you know, working in the industry, but also kind of growing up in it and uh, is a big fan of the variety specials of the 70s and 80s, which sort of led to how we reconnected a few years ago. Uh, and Steve, um, if you would be so kind as to tell the good people what you're up to and more about yourself. What I'm up to right now um... Right, right now? Well, I mean, not I'm in the room. Not in the- right now, but what I'm up to right this second? Not, not in the room that you're in. Just oh. <laughs> more for life. <laughs> I don't know how much we need to know, but you know. Um, yeah, I'm still working on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I do the uh, clip research and um, and clearance for uh, for that show. It takes up a lot of my time. Uh, and I also started um, a documentary that I'm about. Uh, 85, 90% edit, uh, finished shooting, and we're in the middle of editing it right now. And um, it's about the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is probably one of those cultural uh, phenomenons that um, you two are well aware of. I know, Jason, you are. So um, that's kind of what I'm up to right about now. And, um, but you you have, uh, because... You and I talked about this holiday special. You you brought it to my attention years ago. You started kind of the the seeds of, um, you know, why hasn't somebody done something on this? It's such an interesting story. And I think part of it was you were coming to me because of you know my background and you know the stuff I'm into and you know you love Star Wars and you know uh, saw it a million times when when you were younger. Um, but also um, because of this is my this is what I took from that is that because you have a connection to those kinds of specials, um, it seemed like this was the ultimate, you know, WTF kind of variety special. But, you know, why is hasn't it been explored? It's it's only yeah. been explored in, in the sense of, you know, people bad mouthing it for, you know, for, for 40 some years. 
Right. Um, but wh where did that sort of come from? Where did it gestate? Um, it came from, um, I have a trade association that is, uh, we have about, there's about uh, 400 members called AMCUP, and they're all people in the footage business who have stock comp who have stock footage who shoot stuff people from the studios at license footage um a lot of hobbyists are in it and um we were going to do an event about some like really horrific uh special you know like some like revisit something like the brady bunch variety hour or uh something really disastrous and when I started looking into the Star Wars holiday special, I didn't realize that I had all these connections into it. My, as you know, my father was uh, Bob Hope's agent for a lot of his career, ran his production office, and then was his manager um, towards the end of his career. So I kind of grew up in that whole TV variety, bad television, not just not just being able to see the bad television that everyone else was having fun with watching on YouTube now, but I got to grow up in it and see like why it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in its incarnations, you know, my father would like, I remember there was this writer who, he was a friend of mine and he had submitted some jokes to the show and it was ridiculous because he had no writing experience at all. You don't just start at the Bob Hope special. You know, you don't just start your career writing for Bob Hope. And you know, you start uh, with uh, maybe, uh, you know, Marty Ingalls, you know, and then you kind of, you kind of work your way up from your Norman fell, you know what I'm saying? Then you kind of whoa, whoa. slowly work your way up, you know, um, so I remember him reading these jokes to me and um, my, my friend was there with me watching it. And he was, um, he was, he looked, he was looking, reading the jokes and we were watching him read the jokes and he was, we were reading the jokes along with him and he goes, that's a funny joke. <laughs> and he goes, he looks at the next one. Oh yeah. That's a funny joke. <laughs> For years, me and my friend, we used to mock, like we used to try to challenge each other to try to sound as un as unamused as possible while saying the most amazing things about someone. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> so um so anyway, we we I noticed because I grew up with a lot of these people that I just looked at the IMDb page and I realized that a very, very close family friend that my father actually had represented when he was at um, International Creative Management for a five-year period, he represented this guy named Steve Binder, who is the director of the Star Wars Holiday Special. He's actually one of the most, by far, critically acclaimed television directors of all time. He directed the star, the Elvis Presley sh uh, comeback special. I mean, right there, that's one of the most amazing, if you guys have ever seen that, that is oh, the most. Bender did the, he did the 68 comeback special, Bender yeah. directed? Oh, yeah. no kidding. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. And it, it not only was brilliant, but it's, it's just, 
it's just the ultimate stuff to watch of Elvis Presley. It's it's the it's the greatest performances he ever gave. Every yeah. every single thing in that. That to me was his was his peak. But 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 you started so that that's a great that's a great way to to jump in is that a, a lot of these variety specials. I mean, you started to see a lot of the the same names pop up in these shows, whether it was you know writing teams or you know, the likes of Bruce Valanche or whomever. And it's, you know, basically you could you could go back in time and think right around 78, who would have gotten the calls to do something like this? This. Yeah. Know, yeah. 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 And um, Bruce Valanche was not in my dad's um, circle of friends or wheelhouse. Bruce Valanche was doing a lot more of the really, really campy um, television specials. The, the specials my dad was doing were just bad. They were just the Bob Hope specials, you know. And, you know, I would, the bummer was is that, you know, Hope used to produce five or six of these a year. So there was always an opportunity that I would always be excited to know who was going to be on the show because I knew that I was probably going to get an opportunity if I wanted to meet that person. And there was never, here we go. There was never <laughs> anyone remotely interesting on the shows for me. I could have hung out with any of these people, you know, so, but he would try to impress me, you know, he'd say, Oh, we got a, Oh, we got a, you know, we got uh you know the one that, that that they always make a joke that it's it's uh, Lonnie Anderson and and uh, Brooke Shields um, and uh, Donnie and Marie. But you know the one that he had on all the time, and it was really pathetic because she used to he was it was an opportunity for her to sing, which is a whole other avenue of the variety television genre. Was Linda Carter, and he was oh we got Linda Carter on the show, you know. Like she's gonna sing, she's gonna sing "Silver Bells" with Hope, you know, and just like, wow, Dad, you know, I'd love to come, I'd love to come, but I really, I've got some. Yeah, so. But that's a great, but that's a great name to throw out there because she would have been. I mean, Wonder Woman was a was a hit show. What was it, Brian? Was it seventy six the first season? Seventy five. Or 76. Uh, I think I think it was 75. Yeah. Um, now now I have to look it up because I it did run it did run like it flipped networks and um, it ran I think four seasons. So. And I think she um, I think she got her first special in I want to say 76 or 77. I remember watching it actually. Um, <laughs> It too is. It, I don't know if that's the one where she does all the rock and roll outfits, like oh, with the kiss. The yeah, I, I I I remember that, and I remember I get it mixed up with a share one I watched as a kid. Now, I have a quick remember. question. I have a quick question. Um, now Jason did not know of this, but are you aware of the Moloch uh, clip from uh, Chips? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I have a huge very disappointed, fan of, very disappointed that Jason I stumped Jason with that. Donnie Most is Alice Cooper slash Gene Simmons, right? Yes. Well, and the best part was uh was Peter Marshall as the greedy rock and roll manager with no morality. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, well, I don't care about danger. These kids, these kids are our money ticket out of here. <laughs> now, well, my daughter and I, our favorite uh, TV thing ever is the punk rock episode of Quincy. Have you ever seen that? Oh, you know what I have, I have. And mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because uh, I am not kidding with you. I bought right before COVID. I bought like all seven seasons of Quincy. Dear God. I'm working with uh, at Kimmel. There's a guy I'm working with now who it turns out we just started laughing one time about Quincy. And he was always saying, you know, he was so self-righteous, you know, the way he would always like he'd always like someone would like say, hey, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we're just uh, we just it's all business, okay? We make lots of million dollars off these kids, and then he would always look at them like, "What are you talking about? You're <laughs> talking about? Don't you know you're talking about murder? Murder? Murder?" Yeah. And it was just so it had like five hours in it. Oh, it was just you know, yeah, you just that's great, but you're talking about murder. <laughs> with oh. his furrowed his furrowed brow. Well, I was telling I was telling Steve earlier about the one of your favorite things, Brian, is the Buck Rogers, uh, Lars, Lars Mangroves. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, rock, the space rock and rollers. Jerry Jerry Orbach. You know, yes. so and it, it is. It's not a tangent. I mean, this really is like that. Th- th- those are to me are examples of executives or show. You know, the people writing the show that are going, what's happening in the culture right? You know, this punk thing seems to be taken off. What if they're all, you know, degenerates or, you know, whatever? Um, it's a killed slam dancing. Right. And then all of a sudden, there's someone who pipes up, hey, we need a new vehicle for Jack Klugman. Remember the remember the slob from Odd Couple? <laughs> <laughs> remember the guy who was the funny guy? on, on the, you know, It was a slob with the hat and everything. Why do we make him a coroner? <laughs> he wasn't there's just- a... There's a really famous uh, Canadian TV show called Wojek that, honest to God, I think they just stole Quincy from. Uh, and it was he was played by John Vernon um, here in Toronto. And that a lot of people think that Kojak or Kojak um, that uh, Quincy was just swiped from uh, Wojek. Oh, so self-righteous. He also also got a lot of action. Quincy Quincy got a lot of action. Like well, yeah, like, the opening of the show has him with a hot babe on his boat. On his oh, boat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, his, his daughter's friend. Klugman, not to segue, not to segue. friend. One of my pet peeves is um, when, and this is off topic, of course, but um. Is like when Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood in the latter part of their careers, when, you know, they don't have the, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're, if you're Jack Nicholson and you're playing some really cool guy on a motorcycle or whatever, and you give the little wink, you know, and that attitude and the little, you know, the furrowed brow and the little, you know, that little cute look. You know, he has a way of charming people, and Clint Eastwood, too. But, you know, when they're not cops, when they're not playing cops and they're in their 80s <laughs> and they're playing postmen, you know, women are not supposed to be falling all over themselves for it. 
There's a movie that uh, Clint Eastwood directed. Um, it's the I can't remember the one. It, it was oh so bad, and it's the one where he um, he's playing the journalist and um, and he's trying to get the guy off death row. Who's oh, got a, I saw that. What you're talking there, about? There's like the women in this movie are falling all over themselves. And he's like an 80-year-old reporter that lives in an apartment. And it's like, dude, that's not the same guy that they're all following. You can't, you can't keep doing that whole wink and like, oh, he's so, you know, he's not Dirty Harry. He's, yeah. still, got, Dirty he's Harry. Still, still got the wink. But, but the women of- in it are literally, you should watch it and count how many women are falling, <laughs> even his boss is uh, the comic Dennis um, Leary. And his, of course, Clint Eastwood had an affair with his wife too, so he doesn't like him. It's like, oh, he can't, he can't miss. He can't I think miss. It's, called, it's called Blood something. It's got blood in the title, if it's the thing I'm thinking of. You're thinking blood. of Blood Work. That wasn't blood. it. No, it was something else. Oh, another, another, another journalism role for him? Um, oh, gosh. So- Sorry, yeah, that reminds me of when Robert Mitchum is playing like Philip Marlowe in his, late in his career, and uh, I think it's called Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah, it's uh, 1979, I think. Yeah, and women are throwing him, themselves at him, and it's like, yeah, this this is believable. Because um, well, then he could get weed. Yeah, because <laughs> Mitchum was always holding. I think right up until he he died. But um, but the see, first part is that Clint Eastwood is directing all these women in the scenes. Okay, yeah. gotta, gotta Clint, Clint Eastwood's one of our biggest fans of this show, so let's not spend yeah. the whole time. <laughs> let's not alienate a listener. Never missed an episode. Um, but you said something interesting today. No, no. Yeah, we are kidding. Earlier today, Steve, about the variety special and w- what these things aim to do. And I want you to talk about that a little bit, because because you know I would bet between us, Brian and I have seen. We may not like be collectors of such things, but we've seen, you know, the campier and the sillier the better. I'm sure we've seen most of the you know the the Telly Savalas special, the Linda Linda Carter one, the um, I'm sure we've seen the Starland Vocal Band show, and you know you know we we appreciate you know weird stuff like that. I have but, I have all eight hours of the uh, star of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Thank you. Oh. And, and have, have you watched it? Oh. Not in one sitting. No. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, little by little. I forget, ever, I forget which one I was watching, but I swear to God, it was like Paul Lind and um, someone else fighting for the affections of Alice. <laughs> And I just remember, like, I don't think anyone's interested in anyone here. Like, you know. Rip Taylor? Maybe Rip Taylor? Yeah, I think it was Paul Lynn and Rip Taylor fighting for the affections of Alice. And it was like, mm, this is. Well, it was like the uh, the, Paul Lynn, the Paul Lynn Halloween special. with It's him and Tim Conway as truckers. And they, mm. they, could, not, they could not be more campy. They're just, they're. they're they're wearing pink and and baby blue, and they look like they just look insane. But they're they're like fighting over uh, Pinky Tuscadero, like that was the 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 female talent they got for that. I mean, that's a great example of, of an insane. And I mean, and, and I want to point out too, it's laughless. It's like, 
completely laughless. Yeah, like you're just like, oh boy, like the whole yeah, thing. There is quite a great clip. Uh, you mentioned Pinky Tuscadero. There's a great clip I got for Jay Leno when we had Ron Howard on, and it was the cast of Happy Days on the Captain and Tennille show. Ooh. They're doing a big dance number, and at one point, Ron Howard's dancing along with them, and, this, and he starts, and he stops, and the music stops, and he sings a verse of, like, Heartbreak Hotel. Oh. Totally dead serious. Yeah, that's a beauty. Well, it's like the, it's the, the bit in the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Toward the end, I think it's him and Florence Henderson start, <laughs> start, singing, start singing the song Disco Baby. You know, move it in. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yes. The way, yeah. But the way they're doing it, the way they're doing it, you would think the song was already 10 years old. And this is like a, a tribute act that was doing it in Vegas somewhere. Oh, like, Grant, Branson, Missouri. I mean, it's like it's like the song was already, it's only been out for six months. And they're doing yeah. this. This version of it that is clearly aimed at a different audience altogether, or they're not gonna. It's so funny. It's like a it's like a conversion ability that some some acts have to actually date material. Yeah, that, as it's being written. Yeah, as yeah. It's I, have you ever heard Mae West do the Beatles? Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. You it sounds like it's from the '30s. There's a great there's a great show called um, and it was right in this I, I want to say it was 78 I've actually been trying to get it it might even be on YouTube sometimes I'm I never think to even check YouTube which is pathetic but it was a uh, it was called the Beatles Forever and it was um, it was like ten people doing like it was Stephen Eady and Paul Williams and Tony Randall and all Anthony Newley doing these versions of Beatles songs. <laughs> I remember at one point they're doing uh, a little help from my friends. And it's like, it's Tony Randall, Anthony Newley and Paul Williams singing that song. And when it's they like you the never first, wanted <laughs> and the first verse, the first chorus, you know, it's like, what, what is it? Help me out, uh, Jason. It's I get, I get by with a little help, my friends. I'm gonna try with a little help. I get high. So, Ted, so Anthony Newley sings the first line, and then and then the camera moves to Tony Randall who sings the second line, and then it gets to Paul Williams who goes, "I get high with a little help from him," and it's like Tony Randall gives this look that's so classic. It's like this is our drug. Con, you know, this is our drug demo on our show. Right. The eyes watching. He's the cool guy that smokes weed. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's, a, there's a clip of um, who was the guy that used to host the uh, Miss, Miss America pageant? He he sort of had a southern kind of accent. He was like a game show host, too, but he sort of had a southern accent. You know what I'm talking about? He, yeah. said his, he does a version of Let Him In by Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, and wow. it's it's like nothing you've ever you've wow. ever it's just it's just bizarre. But that's why like this this stuff is like when you see the the thing the them doing disco baby it's like disco baby you know yeah. it's like there's not even a 
a, a remote and that's what makes this stuff so fascinating like okay what and but you said something interesting the other day or today whatever it was steve about the intent for these variety specials it was it was it was family viewing and and in the sense of they were trying to put stuff in there for every part of the family like right, the, right. so when you had you you know these people would book these shows and it seemed like every even beyond like if you go to like the love boat you know there was always like on the love boat there was out of the three couples there was always like you know some tna there was like lonnie will lonnie anderson and eric estrada whatever and then but then they would always have to be then like norman fell and uh you know uh cheetah rivera or whatever you know or, or you know jerry vale or some older people to kind of like to to pull everyone in and they used and they did that of course on the star wars holiday special you know they have jefferson starship for the kiddies they have uh um uh i'm losing the, the i can't believe i'm forgetting her name diane carroll for the for the older men and she, mm -hmm. for the older Wookiees to pleasure themselves to in the living room. Yes. And Diane Carroll, by the way, was in the Beatles forever. Oh, my oh. God. You're right. You're right. Look at that. It all comes back. It all comes back to the Beatles forever. It always comes back to the Beatles. That's a great show. you got to watch that. I'm, I'm going to look it up right after this. Um. Uh, so yeah, so that was the and and so without giving too much away because the documentary, you know, you, say, can I interrupt real quick? The, yeah, I'm I forgot the best part of when Tony Randall, oh, <laughs> when it moves from Tony Newley to Tony Randall, he actually, if I'm not mistaken, gives like a thumbs to the to to, to Paul Williams like, and he's the one who's gonna get high with because he's got. <laughs> We're not, we're not those guys, but we got someone here that's the, you know, represents the drug fans, you know, <laughs> and, and that's another perfect example. Like they had Paul Williams there. I think at that time was their unbelievably bad way of appealing to little st a little stoner audience there, you know, and they got, you know, anyway. and they seemed to have him on retainer at that time. Yeah, uh, he would. He did everything. I mean, he did every freaking variety special, you know, imaginable. Um, it seemed. I mean, it. I know he's not and, and, and oh, his his stuff and his issues and stuff. But so you started thinking about in, in the context of this stuff and Star Wars, the Star Wars holiday special, and the number of people that might have been involved with it and that seemed to be involved with it, and kind of you know, where tell us where this sort of took you or how you and I started? Well, I, I wound up, um, my first impression was like, I can't believe no one has done a documentary on clearly, and I don't care what anyone says, clearly one of the most interesting things in the history of Star Wars uh, culture is the production of this bizarre I mean, they've gone on and talked about how bad, you know, the Phantom Menace is on and on to nauseam. I mean, the special was two hours. I mean, that I just can't believe that, you know, you, you see all of these. Uh, I just was I was actually for the show. I was looking for some um, through some uh, for some Star Wars content. <laughs> That's crazy when it's actually my job. 
Um, <laughs> looking for some Star Wars content, and um, we had uh, um, there's that cool there's this really cool place called thing called Flyovers. Have you seen this? That's pretty wild. It's a whole. It's all these. They took these animated or CGI flyovers of all the planets. Oh, I did watch that. It's on Disney Plus. It's very cool. Yeah, I thought that was great. It's just amazing how as wide as this uh, as this universe is, literally. <clears throat> I just can't believe with all the, the Star Wars documentaries that no one has done this and these people most of these a lot of these people are alive it's not like you know you're not going to get harrison ford and you know the big stars that are in it but and and almost all the stars that coincidentally all the stars that were guest stars in it have passed away but like all the people that made it are still around and they're having to atone for that <laughs> well and it's but it's also it's um it's it's you know one of the things that you know Brian and I talk about on the show a lot and we're we're in a, you know in agreement as far like you know Brian likes Star Wars like early days of Star Wars and like when it came out and stuff and I think we're we're both in agreement on that that wilderness period you know between seventy seven and you know seventy nine eighty yeah right was, you know what didn't, didn't totally make sense and you know Snaggletooth didn't have a last name and Can you I? know. Can I go backwards real quick? Yeah. Sorry, sorry. No. Um, I wanted to tell you one great anecdote about the Bob Hope special. Oh, that's sure. far back. Huh? This, oh. this was um, this was my dad at at, at his perfect. This is exactly how my dad produced the special. So he's. I remember around, and I remember what year it was, but I remember like, remember Michael Jackson swept the. Uh, the Grammys like in 85 or so with Thriller. And then the next year, I think it was Lionel Richie. And then the next year, I think it was Janet Jackson. So <clears throat> Janet Jackson was huge in the news. And my dad comes home and says, uh, so you're not going to believe what we booked on the Hope Show. And I'm like, hmm, let's hear this one now. Let's go ahead. <laughs> Try to press it there. Um, this is Janet Jackson. I said, Janet Jackson. Oh, no, no, no. He says, uh, it's Latoya Jackson. Latoya Jackson. I said, Latoya Jackson. He goes, oh, yeah, she's great. She's great. I heard her. I saw her videos today. And I saw, you know, they, they sent me the music on her. She's great. And I can see my dad watching her music video thinking, oh, yeah, this is great for the kiddies. You know, yeah, this is, this is something that'll work. And I said, Dad. I just can't imagine because he she was actually famous at that time too, but it was because she had posed naked in penthouse like that same month. So I tell my dad, Dad, I can't believe Mr. Hope, uh, which is what we called him in the days, Mr. Hope would want to have Latoya Jackson because he's so conservative and he was always so selective about who they had on the show. And he's like, well, she won all those Grammys the other night. Oh. I said, Dad, that was Janet Jackson. And he's like, oh, it's I, I got the right one. I got the right one. And um, he never said another thing about it. He obviously realized he screwed up. 
and probably told the same story to Hope, and he probably believed it. Oh, yeah, she won all these Grammys the other night. Oh, yeah, she'll be great. Right here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so to get back to the special, the holiday special. So I remember one of the first people I contacted when I thought, boy, I know Steve Binder, and he was the director. And the first thing that, that freaked me out about Steve Binder was he told me that I finally started saying to him, I said, you know, if I interview you for this, you know that like people are going to, you know, you know that people hate this, right? I mean, this isn't going to be a, this isn't something they're going to show at your, you know, your AFI tribute, you know? And he says, uh, I, I, I think I did a great job. I loved working on it. So that, that's um, like opened up perspective. a whole new way of like, wow, why does he, why is he not taking responsibility for his, for this, a lot of this horrific special? Um, and I remember talking to Jason about it because I knew he was right in the middle of that whole, you know, with Star Wars toys and Entertainment Earth. And for years he'd been in, you know, involved in with the Superman thing. And uh, we had a lot of mutual uh, things in common with pop culture. And what was fascinating when I started talking to, to Jason about it, Jason actually kind of created this extra level that we put the special on um, as far as telling the story. You know, we were like, not only were we going to like, we weren't going to do like a, I knew from the beginning, we're not going to do a story that just attacks it and makes fun of it. If you go on YouTube and just Google that, there's a bunch of moronic podcasts that, People sit around and throw rocks at it, like on that stupid show. Um, uh, oh, what's that stupid? Sorry, I'm going to just say it. I don't care. That stupid show with the robots watching the bad movies, and they just sit there and they make fun of it. Oh, I hate that. Mystery Science, Mystery Science. I said, I, I didn't want to do anything like that. I want to figure out why it is like it is, and explore maybe there's some things that are good about it which i did find out there's a lot of good things but when i talked to jason he said something fascinating that really inspired me and then he inspired my partner with another comment he made so the one he said to me was he said you know i when i saw the star wars holiday special as a kid i kind of liked it and i thought wow that's crazy like i've never heard <laughs> and then i went like wait a minute you know, I remember, thing, I think I remember watching it, and I don't remember hating it. Like, I don't remember, like, going, like, you know, like, this is the worst thing ever produced. It was just you had low expectations with everything in variety television because of this, you know, it's just meant, it's a watered-down version of, you know, as someone at um, Shout Factory we interviewed, Brian Ward really should have me on your show. He's fascinating. And he was saying that not one person had a perfect viewing experience because they water down everything to make, to kind of hit a spot with everyone. So not one person really gets a great experience. There's always an opportunity where someone has to walk out of the room and, you know, go to the kitchen because they're like going out of their minds because Diane Carroll is singing a song or something, you know, yeah. Um, so that's what what Jason delivered to me was this 
concept of like, yeah, it's not really. And then I realized it's not really, it really has nothing to do with the Star Wars holiday special being bad. The reality is, is it's just, you're in 1995 or 2000, and you're looking at shows that were produced in the 70s, and they were all horrific. They were all shot like that. It's not <laughs> different than anything else. My gosh, I'll put that, I'll put the Star Wars holiday special against Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park in a second. <laughs> where, Kiss, where Kiss is walking around the park and like a, as private detectives looking for some murderer. Oh, yeah, yeah, but they're they're walking to to um like Hanna-Barbera stock Scooby-Doo walk music, you know, just like that that like Hoyt Curtain stuff that <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I won't. You can't defend either of those things. Um, I remember as a kid, like that was the first exposure to Star Wars I had. Um, I had the comics and toys and stuff, but I had never actually seen the film. So, watching that special at the time, I would have probably sat through an insurance seminar to see Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> and you know, I got the cartoon out of it, and I think. The memory cheats, right? You're a kid and, and you remember, like, you know, you know, it's like reading old comics. You're like, oh, God, a lot of these suck. But, you know, as a kid, all you remember is the ones that impacted you. And um, I, I think um, I, I was just debating this with my son because he's going to show his girlfriend the holiday special soon. And um, I wonder if we'd be so fascinated with it if it wasn't so like if it wasn't forbidden fruit, if it wasn't. You know, if it was just readily available, would we care? Uh, because I remember I bought a tape of it in college, like I'm talking like 1991 at a chiller theater. And that thing was like my most borrowed tape in the dorm room. You know, guys were constantly, can I borrow the holiday special? I'm like, yeah, you know, and along with the episode of G-Force where they took Zoltar's uh, uh, mask off, you know, those were the two most valuable things I owned. <laughs> well, it's funny because those were the days when, you know, your stuff was all on VHS. And I mean, I remember, not to change the subject, but I remember, and Jason remembers, you know, when we were at Real TV, Real TV was like, I mean, I was there for four years. You were probably around there just about the same amount of time, Jace? Uh, maybe a little little less, but it felt like four. Don't, don't try to back out of it. You were there at least three years. Don't, try, don't try to change history, man. I just don't remember a lot of it, though. But uh, what I do remember is that we would get in all these videos because at that point it was like the first daily show of all these crazy videos. And, and of course, when you're dealing with news videos, of course, then you have your forbidden stuff that was no – you wouldn't – you know, this is pre-internet. So, you know, you had – you didn't have, like, forbidden real – ForbiddenWorld.com or wherever you would find all that weird stuff now, you had Steve's desk. And, you know, people would come up and, you know, because I was the news editor there and they'd, they'd, I'd show, you know, we'd, we'd, there was everything. There was all these horrific things caught on tape. And we would pass these videos around. It was the same kind of thing. It was a little sicker, but it was. Um, well, you, but also at that time, it, it, yeah, that was a lot of the stuff you dealt with was car chases and, you know, birds stuck up a tree and things like that. But there was also a lot of, 
a lot of weird, um, you know, w- you know, weird bits of, of trivia or like, you know, someone that was really famous that was nobody 30 years ago that popped into this movie or you found him in a, you know, game show or something. And you had a copy of the Telly Savalas uh, variety special. And at that point, there was no way to see it. I mean, I, I don't know how, how I ever would have seen that thing if you had a burn of it, because it was it would never got repeated. There was no Internet. So you I think you burned it on the VHS for me and you had like a, a pristine copy of it, I think. And it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe now you just you know go on YouTube and there it is. And I was like, you know, my chin was on the floor watching Telly Savalas sing Who Loves You, Baby, at the beginning of the show. You know, he comes <sighs> in. He comes dressed like Kojak. There's gonna, there's a crime apparently at CBS Radford or Studios, whatever. Yeah, the hell it's they called the Telly Savalas special. And then he whips off the trench coat and the hat and starts singing Who Loves You, Baby, with a bunch of chicks in the background. And people went nuts, you know, because, I mean, a lot of this stuff was you know, off season, right? I mean, the show, you know, Wonder Woman was done and like, oh, what do we, we got to put something on this summer. Let's let Linda Carter, you know, sing a bunch more country songs or something. And it got ratings and, you know, but Star Wars, you know, was a special thing because there, there was, you could not get bigger than it at that time. It was the biggest thing in the world at that time. Right. And it, it, you know, you know, didn't quite make sense. But you've you've met, you know, along the way with these interviews and the research that's been done with this documentary. Um, I don't like again, I don't want to give too much away because you, you're finding out some fascinating things about how it came to be, because I think that besides the, the trashing of it all these years, the big question has always been, how did this happen? How was this? Because everybody thinks of Star Wars in terms of you know, it's locked down. It's a mythology now. And this is how things happen. And, you know, how did the X-Wing get off of Bespin, you know, or whatever. But, you know, back then it just was like Star Wars. It's the biggest thing ever. Let's put some of it on. You know, and that's when I remember in your interview, actually, when we interviewed Jason, who, uh, if you didn't, you probably didn't mention this is, is our co-producer on the, on the, you have to, you have to claim that, don't you? Like, just to make sure everyone is aware that I'm uh, I'm involved in this project. I have any bias or anything like that. The Just Star Wars Holiday Special Documentary is a parent company of Pod Stallion, so I should say that. So is this like, are we, are we like, is this paid content? I don't know what to do. Um, just don't swear. <laughs> don't swear. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but, but, yeah. but, you know, one of the things that people, um, that's fascinating, and when, when we interviewed you, my partner, who produced uh, Jeremy Kuhn, who produced Napoleon Dynamite, um, was really inspired by something that you had said in your interview. We interviewed you on the first batch of interviews when we were in L.A. maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. And, um, uh, and, and you said something like, you know, this is an amazing period of time between 77 when Star Wars came out and 80 before Empire Strikes come, Strikes Back comes out and basically confirms that this is amazing. This is not just a one-hit wonder. But there's this kind of uncomfortable time frame where 
Lucas really kind of doesn't really know what to do with the whole thing. And he's, he's kind of experimental as far as putting his characters on the Bob Hope special and on the Donnie and Marie show. And then there's also, um, he's also being very, um, uh, you know, for people who, one of the things that confuses people is like, they know what a control freak George Lucas is with all of his films. So the big question, and it's not the number one question, but one of the big questions that we have to answer in the documentary is why did he have such faith in this variety show producers, these producers and writers to take his unbelievable brand new hit and then kind of like walk out the back door and let them kind of just do what they wanted. And, um, you know, for that in general, and, and that's answered by two things. One is people forget that like, unless you came from my, um, unless you saw it in, you, you come from my, my time frame, you don't realize that there was like two levels of the super madness of star Wars. Like you think, you think like in 1995 when the special addiction, is that right around when the special editions came out? Maybe uh, 97, 97, um, you know, right around that time was probably when it just became totally insane. But it's bizarre to say that because how could it be less insane? Because in 1977, it became the biggest film of all time. So how much more insane could it become? Well, it it became a religion in 20 years. That's what happened. Mm. So people look at that and they don't understand that Lucas, while he was somewhat protective of Star Wars, he was not in the mode of, being totally paranoid about everything about it. He didn't realize this was a whole nother. And I, you know, who knows whether he really digs the fact that it's, it's a religion, but the, the one reason why we've realized he had so much faith in, you know, a, a television production company is this, the production company that did it was called uh, Smith Hemian productions. And they were the top tier production company in the business at the time they had done literally every high profiles from Sinatra. You know, when Paul McCartney decides he wants to do a television special, Smith Hemian produces it. It's not even up for discussion. He, they just take care of all of the high end stuff. And they also had just done the Bing Crosby Christmas special in 77, which aired in Christmas of 77 which had the David Bowie, Bing Crosby moment in it. Right. If you don't know that story, I'll tell you it really quick. The Reader's Digest version is David Bowie came into town in London to, to, to do his music video. He did. He, he recorded the song Heroes, and then he was going to sing something with Bing Crosby. Well, when he gets there, they tell him he's singing Little Drummer Boy, and he tells him he doesn't like that song. Now, this story has been told by the writers, the songwriters, Buzz Cohen um, and the other two writers whose name is, escapes me right now, um, that's, that wrote all the special material music for for uh, Smith Hemian Productions. Well, Bowie 
they just tell Bowie, why don't you just work on your, why don't you record your song? And Buzz Cohen and the other two writers go down in the basement and they start tinkering on the piano for an hour. And within an hour, they had created that entire segment of the Peace on Earth thing, as well as the bridge. And, you know, that's that's one of the most amazing, I've, that's one of the most amazing songs, if not one of the most amazing moments in Christmas television history, if not television history, is the Crosby moment, is the two yeah. of them together. Yeah. And I really think that when he was meeting with them, that Christmas special aired in November of, of, of 77. He met with them in March or April of 78 to discuss the Star Wars special. So you got to imagine that that was discussed. He knew all about that moment. So the people that produced that moment, the, one of the greatest moments in and, and he and you know Lucas was very much into the into rock music and the first drafts of the um, the treatment for the holiday special that he wrote include a whole musical battleship that was going to drive around and play music to different planets and stuff. He really had a huge interest in music, so that to me is what why we believe that that's why he gave these producers so much rope. <laughs> to hang themselves. <laughs> but it wouldn't. But it. But that's a great. It may. It makes total sense because it's not like it's again. It's this this misconception after all these years or you know even ten years, twenty years, whatever, that it's a train wreck. Therefore, the people that were handed it must have been incompetent or didn't know what they were doing or you know how did this thing get out of control, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It 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 is what it is. But the intent was not to be what it what it was. It was, you know, it was done, you know, sincerely. Um, but it was in the hands of, of the pe the best people to do it, really, that would have well, been the ones to do it. And there's a lot of really, I mean, I have to tell you, like, you know, I was on, um, oh, I forgot his name. It was a guy, a guy on KFI interviewed me last year, and he asked me, what that's a really good question give me something that's really good about the special and um i said well the cartoon is good obviously everyone knows that that's that's obvious but i'm sorry i think the b arthur scene is tremendous <laughs> and i have to tell you that um and you might mock it but i i I would challenge you both to listen to that song again. It's called, the song they did is a version, it was kind of adapted through um, the Alabama song. That's what B. Arthur actually wanted to sing, was, you know, the B., the Alabama song from um, oh, the Nazi, uh, the, um, the German... Um, Cabaret? What was that? No, no, no. Oh, no. oh okay. I can't think of the guy who wrote, but... but um, but anyway, the Alabama song is, uh, you know, Jim Morrison did it. Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar, the next whiskey bar. Don't, don't ask why. But it's got a total, it's got a total, it's got a very um, fascist undertone to the original songwriting and performances in the uh, in the 40s and 50s. So 
she was thinking of something like along those lines. It had kind of like a marching feel to it so she could march them out of the bar. And the songwriters came up with this song called Goodbye But Not Good Night But Not Goodbye. And I have to tell you <laughs> that the song is sweet. The song is very sweet. And when I watched the song, I don't know if you remember this the scene well, but the you know, he's all the camera at one point is at the door and she's saying goodbye to everyone and the music is slowing down. And at one point, the music stops and says to one of the guys, I think it's the big bodyguard, who actually is also Mala. Oh, okay. Here's another bit of trivia. The bodyguard in the, in the, um, in the bar is not only Mala, but it's also the second set of arms that um harvey corman that harvey corman yes a little oh, bit wow. there you go wow yeah that and a piece of lint that'll get you something <laughs> <laughs> what oh so so but anyway there's a line in there where he he's leaving and he's for some reason he's got that really low voice which is completely unbizarre like she just he says Goodbye. So he sounds like one of those, like he's got like a, the the nicotine hole in his neck or something, you know, with the the cancer. You know, the cancer survivors have the hole in their neck. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's really low voice for some reason when he talks, which is just one of those crazy things. Like, how did that come up? Why all of a sudden they give him this really crazy low machine voice, like? Good, good night, or whatever, out of the blue. Anyway, so she says to him, she puts his hand on his shoulder, and she says, you're such a dear friend. And then she looks at him and goes, is that a tear friend? <laughs> and I'm sorry. You know, that to me, it's so hokey. Again, but again, it's not. Right, it's, right, it's, right. Not, it's so endearing. That's right. It's not. That is what I love about parts of the special is that the Welches who wrote this song, who wrote this song, put their heart into this. I mean, it's actually the lyrics are quite sweet, and it isn't an interesting message about goodnight tonight. But unless you know, whatever that theme has been in hundreds and hundreds of songs all right. over the right. world. But um. Yeah, that is, friend. that is so, that's so ridiculous, and yeah. it, it's so endearing, and it's so brave, and that to me is what's great about that time frame, is that these people didn't think, they weren't worried that like, you know, when you see a television show now that lives in, you know, there's Easter eggs in it because it gets recycled, and they got little clues in it, and, you know, this was something they didn't think they'd ever even see again, it was right. just, like a lot, it was like a performance, like it was, like it was the little rascals performing a show in their backyard in that little theater. That's what this was like. So for them to be, it enabled them to maybe be a little bit more earnest and right. over the top and awkward in a lot of moments that maybe they wouldn't have if they knew that this was going to be a film, you know? Right. It was. It was to get ratings and and well, there's there's 
a bunch of reasons that it, that it happened. But wait a minute. I got to back up for a second. I just thought of this. Brian, are you saying that, that the holiday special aired in Toronto the same around the same time that it did in America? Yeah, we we get American television. No, uh, I, I no, I just didn't know if like you got everything. Harsh. Yeah, we we got it. We got it the same time as you, although it was just Thursday. Let's mm-hmm. not make fun of people in Canada, Jason. Come on. No, but, but but no. So I I get. He's I, always picking on me. They're human people too. And why? And you didn't remind us why. At that point, you hadn't seen the film. No. And saw the the holiday special first. Yeah, yes. explain that. You know, you just kind of like drove right past that one. What? How did that happen? Um, I, I, can, I can explain it. Uh, we didn't go to the movies a lot when I was a kid. Um, really? And my folks also had this thing in the late 70s that um, really kind of made me a cultural um, uh, a cultural icon, which was they would roll the television into the corner and unplug it for the entire summer. We would have... <laughs> TV free summers. Uh, yeah. So I can honestly remember um, in, I think I was probably in December of that year going into the hospital for my sister. She needed to go in the emergency room for something. And there was like a People magazine with C-3PO on the cover. Yes. And I can honestly remember going, what the hell is this? Like, I had no idea what Star Wars was at all. Like, I don't, you know, um, and all my friends, like, on, like, you know, I lived on a cul-de-sac and all the other kids were just, like, into hockey. So, you know, I, I was up on uh, Mike Palmatier and stuff like that and Daryl Sittler. But I, I, yeah, just kind of Star Wars was a complete miss, like, miss to me. So, um I saw the holiday special. I remember seeing the holiday special and that was the first time I'd seen. And I asked my folks, can I watch this? It looks really cool, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very early memory. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't see star Wars until 1979. So you saw it on the, on the, it must've got re-released in 79 there. Like it did in the U S yes. Yeah. It, um, it got that re-release where you got that booklet of coupons. Um, yes, the Kenner, the uh, the Kenner catalog, and then you you had like a rebate thing in the back of yeah, it. Yeah, I took like fifty of those um, because. Well, <laughs> yeah. collect, you guys collect blue chips. Was that something? Or that just so it was a it was a proof. It was called a proof of purchase seal. It was a little it was a little round blue uh, thing. You know, little little circle on the back of the action figure cards and on the boxes and the idea was collect three or four of them or whatever it was from action figures and you know mail away for a free figure the boba fett figure being the first one that was sort of you know they kind of pimped the holiday special on the the boba fett uh on the back of the card when they talk about boba fett and he's an enemy of han solos and all that stuff and then there's the whole whole rocket firing thing is another another part of that but um, i meant i for some reason, I was making a Brady Bunch reference, not Star Wars. Do you remember when? Remember when um, they 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 blue chips were like these stamps that you get at the grocery store, and you'd fill up pages with it. And if you had a certain amount, like a, as soon as you got two hundred, you could go to the blue chip store and buy like a lawnmower or something. You don't remember? There's a whole episode of it. I don't yeah. remember that, but I've heard of it. That. Just I was, I was like, like bad 
bad Thank jokes. You, yeah. I want a bunch of uh, notes. Edit, edit right around here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch. I didn't really watch the Brady Bunch. I only I, she made. Who was the oldest daughter? Marsha was that the the. Marcia. Yeah, she made me feel kind of funny, but um, I didn't. I didn't really watch the, the yeah, show. I don't know much about about that, but um, but that was another interesting bit about the holiday special is that it didn't get. I, I think at one point Kenner was going to do action figures of the Wookiee family. I mean prototypes. I think. Certain, do you remember that? What was the magazine? Tomarts. It was Tom on the Mart. cover. Yeah, they looked really great. I think they. <laughs> they sculpted uh, boobs on a Chewbacca figure. <laughs> they did. Yeah. They, they made prototypes, and, and I, I don't know who unearthed them, but it had to be, what, mid-90s or something. It was on the cover of, of that Tomart magazine. Um, but the Boba Fett, the, you know, the back of the, the, the original, you know, release of Star Wars figures, uh, once it was time to, you know, mail away for Boba Fett, mentioned, I'm pretty sure it mentions the holiday special on the, on the back of that thing. So there was all that marketing, and then the, you know, the Kenner commercials were going to, you know, premiere the night that, that that thing, you know, aired, and that was a big part of it, and everything else. And, um, uh, but it's just been it's been fascinating to me because it's it's one of these, you know, I mean, we talk about so much stuff on this show, and Star Wars comes up, of course, but we don't. That's not the thrust of everything we we talk about in here. But it is it is one of these cultural things that's just everywhere, and it's you know, the fanaticism, the religion, and so on and so forth. But, you know, every every corner of Star Wars has been explored. I mean, every every every, every book has been written, every, you know, expanded universe, whatever. And this is a little pocket of information on this subject that just, there's very little out there about. I mean, if you just want to go out and look for it on the internet, there's not a ton of information, and most of it says yeah. the same stuff. Same stuff. Same stuff. Been yeah. so interesting about this and Steve going to the sources. And I mean, Pat Prof didn't didn't you get Pat Prof too? We haven't interviewed him yet. He's in Minneapolis, and a lot of people don't like to go to Minneapolis because it's Minneapolis. Um, I'll go to Minneapolis. I'll do. I'll do that interview. I'm happy to go. But uh, he's, a, he's a legend. Yeah. And then. Um, I mean, you're even tracking down the the acrobats and, um, you know. We interviewed, oh. we interviewed the acrobats. Um, so, you know, it's hard to explain this story without referencing it. But um, so the acrobats, you know, the big scene where uh, Lumpy is watching the acrobats on the um, hologram, right? There's actually five acrobats and then there's five like there's like a ju the two jugglers and there's like a ballet like a like a it's the weirdest group of people one is like a gymnast and um one you, do you guys know what i'm talking about this weird yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um so when we interviewed the acrobats they're a family called um, um their name is escaping me but um, I tracked them down, and the three kids at the time in 1978 were like 16, 17, and 18. So what's really great about that is that they remember so much more than everyone else. The one issue, one of the issues we're having with the special is that 
the 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 entertainment business was much older in 1977 than it is now. Like people who are working on the special were in their 30s and 40s and 50s, some in their 60s, you know. So if they've survived, they don't remember a lot, as opposed to like the people that happen to be 20 years old. Those people are great for what they did because they just remember so much more. Right. Anyway, so they came from this family of 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 acrobats and and um, Welch. Um, I want to say Bob Welch. It's the wrong Welch. Um, Ken Welch, one of the producers, came up to him and they'd been waiting there all day long. And they, he said, I just want to explain to you what you're going to be doing. You know, there's going to be someone who's going to be watching you as if you're miniatures. And he said, there was this movie. We got this idea from this movie called Thief of Baghdad, which was in like the 40s or something like that. I can't remember the stars of it. It was Sabu. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I know that movie well. Was and, it George Powell, uh, Brian? Was was that George Powell? Not George Powell. Who did no, that? No, it wasn't George it's Powell. The guy, it's the guy who played the uh, German officer in Casablanca is in it. Yeah, uh, Con, Con Reed. Hans, Hans Reed. Con Reed. Con Reed um, what's his last name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con Reed. Con Reed Veit. Veit, Veit. Yes. So, so he's explaining to them that this is a scene in the, where they go, where in this scene, in the Thief of Baghdad, this guy's got this big, this king has this big jukebox, and he can go in and he can look at these acrobats that are dancing. And the father said, wait a minute, I was in the Thief of Baghdad, I was the kid, and those were my grandparents and parents. <laughs> so... What's really wild is that when the editor, when we gave that clip to the editor and the, we, we interviewed, the, the father has since passed away, but the kids know the story from the father, so they tell the story really well, and we gave the tape of the film to the, to the editor, and he was editing it, and he found in the scene, like the, one of the next scenes is, is someone that's got... Um, multiple arms, just like the Harvey Corman character. Oh wow! So there, there's all these, and there's a couple of references to these things with multiple arms. Like it's just these, like I don't even know what they are. They're just these, like they're kind of like entertainers for the king that have two or three people behind them with multiple arms, showing that they have four and six different arms. So that's and, uh, where it all came from, probably. Didn't the treatment, didn't the initial treatment from Lucas also reference, it referenced Raquel Welch, but there was another yeah. band that was referenced, I thought, that he sort of name-checked? Um, no. Um, there, there is a lot of references towards, so I'll tell Whoa. you, the, the, the idea in general is... Who's, who's waving Barry Wands? In in the background, who's who's making that noise? What's that noise? Oh shoot! You know what that is? Yeah, it's it's you making magic tricks or something. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're waving arms. I have slack. You're granting wishes every five minutes. It's what it sounds like. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. Let me see. That's it's okay. It adds flavor. It tell it tells the listeners when to turn the page. <laughs> That's right. 
Hold on. Preferences. I'm really sorry. Okay. Right. Audio. Uh, uh, tell us, Jesus Christ! Tell us about the, um, <laughs> tell us about the the Raquel Welch and whatever was referenced in the because um, because Lucas put together a treatment for for the story. Yeah, it's it's five pages and it's pretty it's pretty wild. Um, oh, I can just turn off the program. There we go. Right, <laughs> that helps. Great, thank you. Sorry about that. I didn't hear. I, I hear it so often. It's a anyway. Um, so uh, the 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 concept of this plot was that um, that that there's a big festival going on, um, and that it's at the home base of uh, uh, Kashyyyk, where where uh, Chewbacca lives, and he's going to be the Kind of the um, the head honcho, the big uh, what do you call it? what? Remember the movie uh, The Grinch? What did they call them? The uh, remember they name a person in, at Christmas every year? Uh, the Who's down in Whoville? No, like the Grand Poobah. Remember, there's a whole big thing they name the the Grinch is going to be the. the yep, I, I don't remember. Anyway, so there, so so Chewbacca is going to be this person. So he's heading up the entertainment, and they get in some spaceship called the Spaceship Musica, and they travel around and they bring rock and roll and different types of music to the the universe, and that was the idea to have this kind of showboat in space. How this music, how this was going to be. So it definitely shows that from the beginning, Lucas wanted music in this. It was not, you know, this wasn't like that people kind of pushed music and, and pushed this musical comedy thing into him. It was, he he had it. In fact, we think a lot of times the reason why Jefferson Starship was selected was because he was, um, Lucas's first gig was working on as a cameraman for Altamont. That's right. He um, and of course Jefferson Starship played on uh, Jefferson Airplane played at that show. So there's always been this connection he's had. They both work for they lived in San Francisco and Marin County. So so that was one interesting aspect. The other thing was Raquel Welch is kind of a villain who uses her body to distract. Hold on, I'll read it to you. I'll read it verbatim. Um, Raquel has arrived on board the Starship Musica and in the midst this is written by George Lucas and in the midst of the final preparations she starts vamping the Starship commander to gain his confidence <laughs> R2 and 3PO observe this and since they are not programmed to know about what she's up to, they tell the commander they must report it to Luke. The commander, who rather enjoyed Raquel's attention, reminds them that they know nothing about the ways of a man and a woman. And then further down at the end, she actually she actually dis <laughs> no, hold on. She distracts them. 
with her body and her dancing. Ordered... You, know, you know, this was a Mork and Mindy. <laughs> was it? Yeah, Raquel Welch comes down to kidnap Mork and mate with him, I think. I can't remember. Oh, my gosh, you're right. Yeah. God, they took Lucas's idea. They stole it. Oh, dude. You totally opened up a whole area. Oh, cool. To look into here. Look Holy shit, Brian. Look at that. Yeah. Can Useless just... knowledge has some value somewhere. <laughs> that, that, I won't, you know, I won't the... pretend to tell you that I just recently watched that episode on YouTube or anything. Um... Wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. I have insomnia. Here we go. Oh, here we go. On board the starship, something indeed is afoot. <laughs> and I've never seen the word afoot written. It's A-F-O-O-T. Raquel, under the guise of telling Lumpy a story with dance and gestures about what drives the spaceship, dances her way into the power supply room and destroys things, screws everything up. I just want to I just want to point out again if we've lost anyone. This was written by George Lucas. Yes. The treat written <laughs> this is by gold. George Lucas. Yeah. And so when he talks about, you know, when he, it's amazing because, you know, he he distances himself so much. But you look at this and you're like he had something just as worse in his mind before <laughs> the Bruce lunch. I mean, you know, I mean, are you kidding me? And then, oh, and then there's, wait, there is a part. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, she uses, so. They didn't well, use my C minus idea. <laughs> and I think, I think the Raquel Welch thing is so interesting because in 1978, Raquel Welch was still somewhat popular, but she had really gone, she'd really kind of disappeared from the poster world. I mean, yeah. Farrah Fawcett and uh, which he was doing. He had, a, he had a couple of specials, I think, too, right? He, he had specials that were geared towards the 30, 40, 50 year olds. They weren't. Right. She wasn't appealing to the young kids. Right. It's interesting that George Lucas, who graduated school like right around 67 or so, he's a whole generation older, and so his picks. Are of course older. He's 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 thinking, what would make my show perfect? Raquel Welch. Now, yeah. now, if you and I were producing that with some common sense, they would have said, well, let's get Farrah Fawcett. Let's get right. right? I mean, Charo. But it's almost like he wasn't <laughs> thinking about what would be the best ratings or anything. He was just like, hey, I dug Raquel Welch. Yeah. Everyone else will dig her. Right. She still was. It was still that kind of name that would get thrown out as, you know, a little a punchline or like, well, she's no Raquel Welch, but blah, blah, blah. Right. You know? um, and, the, and the other thing, too, along these lines are that uh, some of the people we've interviewed have confirmed the fact that who worked with Lucasfilm, who worked on the special from Lucasfilm, worked with George. A couple of people say that the names that were touted in the beginning were much more um, 
I'm trying to think of the right word to use, much more um, legitimate names. Like the names were like Cher and Raquel Welch and um, – well, you're convinced that Cher, because of the Bob, the Bob Mackie connection, you, you're you're kind of convinced that Cher was very close to being in the show. Yes, they tried to get her, yeah. And she was supposed to be in it, and something came up. Bruce Valanche tells that story. Um, and so they wound up so, – so I guess there's a huge difference between Rudolf Nureyev, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Cher, and – Harvey Corman and you know what I'm saying? There's a it's a level. And I I mean I love B. Arthur and I loved Art Carney and the and I loved Harvey Corman, but there's a level of it's not as big of a special if it's just the people that are on television every week. You know, they're but all they're, right. but, to, but, to, but to be fair, you know, Carol Burnett's show, show was huge, Maud was massive, like they weren't you know, they were they were pretty big names. No, no, I but I think that there's a level of yeah. um, celebrity. It's you know, I think that while these popular still they were still B and C list celebrities at the time, as opposed to Cher, Barishnikov. I mean, that was a whole kind of a I mean I mean, you know, holy Matt, what would he have done? Good God. Yeah. Nuriev would, would have been hilarious. Very funny, very funny man. People don't know that about him. And he also writes in the treatment that um, he has special, you know, like that there's supposed to be a special guest for the special that drives the, uh, you know, we cut to the starship under the command of a guest star. So the commander of this starship that's flying around performing rock music it almost it almost sounds like here's a heck of a reference. It almost sounds like the big bus. Do you remember the big bus? Oh yeah, um, with, with I think Larry Hagman and and um, uh, uh, Barbara Eden. Jason, do you remember that? Well, I remember that the there was one. I first thought about the the Lucy and Desi like the long long trailer or something like that. But the big bus. Like, earthquake time and this was a disaster that took place on this huge huge like three four level yeah it's a spoof it was well i didn't think it was a spoof at the time because i was a kid i thought it was was an act because it was kind of an action and like you know the bus is on the mountains and half of it is like teetering over the side so what they do is they they pump all the soda into the back of the RV, but they don't know that one of the stewardesses is there, so she's drowning. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's great! But it does seem like that—that's what this was, because I remember there was rock bands on this bus. I just think, I instantly think it, like at some point somebody must have thought of calling Wolfman Jack because <laughs> he was because busy. everything you're everything you're reading there is just like somebody in a room somewhere went, wait a minute, rock music. Like an MC, you know, driving a ship. What it's got to be. He's in everything because he was in every show and every variety special. He ever. did. Com- he did commercials for Clearasil. Have you ever seen those? No. Oh yeah, no. You got to check those out. It's like a kid that. comes up and is like, "Hey, Wolfman, I got problems with acne. Oh, you gotta have Clearasil." And it's like, how is this a thing? Like, um, 
you know, he, he, how does your dad's DJ know about your problem skin? <laughs> well, I bet it, I bet his name for I bet it did come up though also because of the Lucas because of the connection with American Graffiti. I bet that name must have floated around somewhere. Well, well they were you know if you if you knew that the there were these appearances that that the Star Wars characters do that we explore in the documentary, which is they, um, the one, you know, this is not secret or anything, but one of the big reasons why the special happened was because um, they wanted to, I'm going to leave out our major, we have a, yeah. we have a, a big reveal, but yeah. general, it is known though, that um, the latter part of this is that they did want they did want to promote and do a lot of television to keep the the movie alive in the rate in in the theaters. And one of the things they did is they kept they did the Donnie and Marie show in September, and the film receipts in the movie theater went nuts. So they were like, "Hey, Lucas is like, hey, well." Let's go nuts on this. Let's do these other shows. Oh. They do the Richard Pryor show. They do the Bob Hope special. They do the Muppets. And they do the Wolfman Jack special. Oh. Oh. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Not the Wolfman Jack special. Yeah. They, did a, they did a midnight special appearance. Darth Vader does it. I haven't seen it on video yet. Oh, um, shit. Vader it, shows up on the midnight special? Yep, and it was a payback. Remember the payback? Everyone wanted everyone wanted Star Wars on their show. Yeah. Why would Why would Lucas feel indebted to Wolfman Jack? Well, American Graffiti. Right. 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 Wow, that's I see. I just love stuff like this. It's just so. It's all this primitive land of like, you know. They're they're making it up as they go, and Lucas is nervous that you know he he knows it's the biggest movie of all time at that point, but isn't sure the second one's going to do much and needs to keep the brand alive. And you know what would you have done? There was nothing you know to go viral, and there wasn't you know merchandise was late because nobody jumped on that in time, and he had to keep the plate spinning and. You know, you get all the all the all the stuff that gets made fun of the most is all the stuff from the seventies, all the appearances on these shows, because because it's ludicrous. But I mean, They're again, goofy. I don't think any I don't think anybody's thinking this is going to be around for you know forty fifty years. It's just a it's it's a you know they were probably most of them were thinking it's a fad. This is a fad, just like just the way, like the way they treated the Beatles. You know, like like they'd get them on shows and Sullivan treated them pretty pretty well and took them fairly seriously, but. You know, when they made that the first movie, you know, the the guy at uh, at United Artists was was you know tasked with making a movie was like make a quickie film. This thing that's going on is only going to last a little bit longer. So the quicker you get something into the theaters, you know, to make a few bucks before it goes away. And I would imagine it was similar with Star Wars that it was, you know, this thing can't. I mean, it can't be that big. I know it's big right now, but you know. Yada yada, and um, I love it. I love all of it because it's just—it's just, it's just well, so random. And, you know, we interviewed Donny Osmond, 
and it was a great interview. And he's, you know, Donny Osmond, if you've, you know, seen him in interviews in general, he's very self-deprecating. And he was a great interview because um, the Star Wars performers performed on the Donny Marie show, which is absolutely horrific. Makes the holiday special look like Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty there's a part in it that um, I, f- I forgot about. Donnie actually reminded me of it in the beginning of the, of the, uh, of the show, they introduced the stars and they go, when the stars from the, the stars from star Wars. And it's like, there's a shot of C3PO and uh, Anthony Daniels or, and, uh, and um, R2D2 and Harry, as you know, um, Harry Potter. Uh, no, um, what's his name? Paul Lind. Uh, uh No, the guy who plays uh, Han Solo in the in the Star Wars. Movie. Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. I uh, just horrific. And then there's a shot, and he goes, and the rest is Star Wars. And there's a shot of Chewbacca and and Darth Vader together. And <laughs> Darth Vader, first of all, is like shorter than Chewbacca. But the funny part is that Chewbacca has his arm around Darth Vader. Yeah, that close. Right. And um and Donnie was like just laughing. He's like, I guess that's just the way it is that everyone's friends on the Donnie and Marie show. <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, I mean I, obviously I, Luke I, must have seen that and gone, you know. I mean yeah. that that's bizarre. I sent you something uh, a couple weeks ago. I forgot where I found it or who somebody sent it to me or I saw it on a, a page on Facebook or something. But um, it was from um, November of 77, Vogue magazine. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a black, some color shots, but mostly black and white spread of women, you know, in Vogue wearing furs. The whole, the whole spread was about these fur coats and they, you know, 20th Century Fox lent them Snaggletooth and Jawas and 3PO and R2 and Vader, you know, and I remember this, I remember my mom paging through Vogue and coming to me in the kitchen, like ripping out these pages, pulling them out to give them to me. And I was like, what? It's in a, why is it in your fashion magazine? Like what? Because it was everywhere. Everywhere. It was everywhere. And um, that's just, that's another just little goofy thing of like, you just you just wouldn't do that. It just wouldn't happen today. You know, Vogue was like, well, what's that movie that everybody likes? That the kids are grab some of that shit and get it in for this shoot. And, you know, it was just just craziness. You know, you've got Brian because you had a bunch of stuff on the I think you've you've shown stuff before of like the I think it's through Plaid Stallions where there's those insane commercials from the from the, like right after Star Wars comes out with those sort of they're not quite three PO and R two but sort of they're in catalogs and oh know. um I think I think you're talking about are you talking about the the appearance photos that people are like um no it was something that was like I thought you had a display thing from a catalog that was like 
you know, out of this world, you know, or some some phrase like that about space toys or something. Oh, I probably and, do. Yeah. Um, sort of. It kind of looks like 3PO, but it's not really. <laughs> they put it. Oh, this yeah. I, I'm positive I do somewhere. Yeah. Um, that that sounds like um, there's so much of that around at that time. You know, everyone's yeah. jumping on that bandwagon, be it toy manufacturers or. Um, yeah, everyone's trying to steal Star Wars somehow, get a piece of it, you know. And and yep. some of the appearances, some of the like the that, that's the, what I'm working on with that book, Mall of Justice. Some of the some of the homemade Darth Vaders that went to malls and the homemade Chewbaccas are like the greatest things ever, you know. Um, <laughs> there's there's one Darth Vader that looks like. And on his chest, he has the apartment door buzzer for, to my grandma's place, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody cared. Nobody like, cared. You met Darth. But uh, what's even better, though, is some of the kids' faces are like, yeah, I don't think this is Darth. <laughs> I don't think that's him. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's really him. I met, I actually met the Darth Vader because... You know, the Fox been, one, right? Like the one that I, was touring around. I think it's going to be in your book. I think the, yeah, those photos, yeah. that's one of the Fox, one of the 20th century Fox Vader suits that they started to send around for appearances at bookstores and stuff. I think it was, I don't know where specifically what they, what he showed up for, but I remember mine was a beat Alton in the Maplewood mall. Mm. And it was just, you know, I was a little kid, but it seemed like, you know, thousands of people crowding the beat Alton. <clears throat> and I, I got to meet him. I don't know how my dad got me over there to go up to him and meet him and shake his hand and everything. But that was the one of the real outfits. And I thought as a little kid, I thought Dave Prowse, you know, showed up. And I told all my friends, like, yeah, um, yeah, Madam, you signed it, Darth Vader, didn't sign it, Dave Prowse. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool. And I still have the calendar somewhere. And he just signed Darth Vader in this big, you know, but but there were only a couple of those that went around around the country. And wasn't there a Boba Fett, too, like the white Boba Fett that was in a parade or something? Or Yes, it made its debut. That's right. Um, in a San, it was in, up in near San Jose, I think. It was like the Labor Day parade. And, you know, um, your friend uh, Scott Kirkwood, who manages the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special website, the official, I don't know. Oh, yeah, guy from the auction. He, um, uh, he told me the story of the origin of Boba Fett was that he was supposed, this, this uniform was supposed to be like that, that this first uniform was supposed to be like a, like a superhero, like a suit, like a, like a, like the Marines of the, um, of the Imperial Stormtroopers. Yeah, like an elite force. It came from, and then they created Boba Fett out of that outfit. Right, and it's, I think it's, I think it, it's in that parade, I think it's like 1979, like it's well before, I mean, it's, it's paint, it's still white, so they then took it, I think, and they, they brought it to the Kenner offices. There may be several of these outfits, I don't know for certain, but they one to the Kenner offices and took photos of it for the card front and back for the Kenner action figure. Um, oh. But 
it looked different than it eventually did in the, in the film as well. But but all of that was tied into. See, I'd love to know more about the Nelvana thing and how because there's there's a Canadian connection right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, you know, what's sad is um, uh, in the 90s, my brother in law is one of my brother in law's best friends was the president of Nelvana. And oh. uh, uh, we went to visit him once. And I remember like, you know, um, because we, we had a layover. We were doing something in the city. And he's like, I'm going to go visit my buddy. And, and um, you know, it was the offices in Elvana. And to see those, you know, those cells on the wall was, like, breathtaking. It was really cool. And didn't you get one? Didn't Don't you have one? Or didn't you I don't have one? a Star Wars holiday special. I have, uh, I have the Doctor Who animation cell. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's... Um... It's 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 crazy. It's just such a weird. I mean, you think about it now, and it's like they're they're debuting this character. Um, I don't know where the decision came from to say, okay, he's an enemy of Han Solo, and he's gonna let's put him in this. He's he's more he's more you know important in the <laughs> in the cartoon than in the two movies <clears throat> that he that he was in you know, the original trilogy movies because um, he's awesome in the cartoon. Um, but it's it's that fun again. It's that little weird, that weirdness of like, okay, they made it a character and they made it important in this thing. They took it totally seriously. This yeah. this animated sequence, you know, aka uh, the thing everybody like. I think um, they did the right thing by putting that on Disney Plus. I think that's going to um, quell a lot of people's demand to see the holiday special on there. I, I think so, too. I mean, don't you think they're eventually just going to I think it, it feels like people are talking about it more and it, putting that up there. It's like, OK, you aren't they just paving the way to put the, the special up eventually? I think there is this kind of thinking that, um, you know, the more the more secretive you make it, the more interesting it is. And that they're just, that you know, Lucasfilm, to some extent, is kind of creating their own drama by keeping it hidden. That if it, you know, we've discussed this, that if, if it all of a sudden was available, well, who knows if that would be even, even remotely interested. But the fact that it's like this, you know, never seen and, and, and that Lucas doesn't want to put his hands on it and, and his name on it. And, you know, it's very, you know, I think creates more drama than it's really worth. Mm. Yeah. Said, it's not that bad. I think... It, it's not. I think it's uh, it's legend looms larger. I know, agree. Like, I that. agree. I think it's just kind of like everything that you, it's like it's like a lot of movies that are considered like classics now. You some of them aren't good movies. It's that you know a large amount of the population was six when they saw it, and right. um, you know I right. think everything can get blown out of proportion, both good and bad. And yeah, there's there's much worse things out there than the Star oh, Wars holiday special. And pretty hard. Yeah. yeah, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Every yeah. every fifteen minutes, there's a Brady, there's a Barry Williams dance number. Yeah. Oh, and it's the, just not uh, enough. And you're right. When I was got a show, and uh, Captain Captain and Tennille got a show, and yeah, uh, Captain Tennille and Pink Lady and Jeff. You know, like Pink Lady he, and Jeff. Like Captain Tennille was. Somebody put a clip of that up recently, and it was like the six million dollar watermelon or something. And <laughs> every person who I think liked it saw it as a kid, so I got that. But I didn't see it as a kid, 
and I was actually getting like mad at it, like how bad it, how stupid it was, you know? And, um, yeah, I could, I could see like if you were seven and you remembered that and, oh, that was funny when I was a kid, but it, you know, I'm, I'm an adult and it just, it's like, this is so like lazy and, and safe to, to the point of being like, it could have been on Sesame street or the electric company, you know, it's, it's just, and what's his name there? Daryl Dragon has zero comedic skills, like nothing. Well, I think what Daryl Dragon did, if you don't mind me defending him. Sure. Uh, here we go. You, you hit the button, Brian. Daryl oh, no. This is a hill to die on. Dragon, and Steve's going to go nuts because he's the biggest no, Daryl no, Dragon fan. No, 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 no. no, but like I've said this about Peter Frampton. Like Peter Frampton was kind of the pop um, – the pop delivery system for the electric guitar. I think he made the electric guitar listenable for a lot of popular audiences, a lot, little middle of the road. I mean, you know, before you had, you know, the, 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 the lead, the heavy lead guitar, you know, was Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't accessible in the, in the modern, in, in, popular culture and i think in the same way in a more pathetic way daryl dragon is kind of like a lot of young kids first like wow he can really play the keyboard pretty well that's pretty wild oh right? yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not dismissing him <clears throat> musically in any way it's and, that they gave no, him a, that, a, a variety it, show to act yeah that is that that is the point though it's like it's like the, yes, he can play the piano, but he shouldn't be doing comedy sketches. They they threw they threw shows at everyone, assuming because they could do a nightclub act or they had a number one song, that somehow that was gonna their charm was gonna get them through for, you know, the sketch the sketch part of the show or you know before Shields and Yarnell showed up and really let the show take off or whatever. The variety um, angle is so I mean. We've we've toyed about maybe making a separate pulling a variety TV documentary out of what we're doing because there's so much about variety TV that's that we've already discussed and that's you know we interviewed um, I've I've spoken on the phone to um, Jeff Altman from Pink Lady and Jeff and he is amazing he's got amazing stories and someone else you might want to consider trying to um, interview who's fascinating. And very uh, uh, self-deprecating, and and you know is very critical of the the genre that he was in and helped create is um, is Robert Shields from Shields and Yarnell. He's oh, great. Really? Yeah, and he's um, and you know kind of quiet though, isn't he? He what? Kind of quiet though, isn't he? Oh, he's very outspoken. He just doesn't get any. You know, he's he's out of the business. He's an yeah. artist. I'm kidding, because he was a because he was a mime. They had their own show too. They had their own show. I mean, it was and the writers know. and the writers of that were Pat Proft and uh, Lenny Rips, who they thought would be really good to work with non-verbal Wookies because they worked on the Shields and Yarnell show. <laughs> That's exactly how the two writers, the two first writers, Pat Proft and um, Lenny Rips, got the gig on the holiday special. 
also directed by Steve Binder. Good Lord. See, it's I, I love it. It's like um, six degrees of, of lumpy or whatever you want to call it. Um, okay, well, I guess we've been talking for a while here. We should probably try to wrap this up um, because that's probably more information than anybody has a right to, to get about the Star Wars Holiday Special and Variety Specials. And you don't want to give too much away from the actual finished product and where, where this thing is heading because I think it, I really do think it's a fascinating uh, little corner of pop culture that nobody has explored. Nobody has tried to push the boat out on this um, until you really got it, got it moving. And um, it's fun to be a part of it. And uh, I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to, to see it. Obviously. Yeah, I'm dying to see it. Um, I'm, I'm literally looking forward to it, actually. These are the kind of rabbit holes I like to fall down on. Um, but now I've got to find out. I've got to watch. I can't go to bed tonight until I watch Shields and Yarnell do those robot people. Oh, man. That was so <laughs> yeah. They had their own show. and they Two did- years. Two seasons. They got two seasons it had? Two seasons? <laughs> I thought it was like a mid-season thing and they got like six episodes. They got two seasons of a show. I mean, that, you know, you know it's, I think of them in the same breath as Moment Shants. Remember Moment Shants? Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I mean, that was, you know, you know it was like, oh, Moment Shants. You wonder why The Muppet Show was such a thing. Because The Muppet Show was a variety show uh, it was funny. It, kids dug it. Adults dug it. It was very smart. Uh, it was done in England, so they got a lot of you know great great talent that showed up. But it was it was a cut above everything. It it took it took the variety special thing and really yeah it turned it on its ear. And it, and uh, it's it, probably why it really hasn't been able to come back. Yes, in that because we don't have that culture anymore. That's right. Well, we yeah. also don't, yeah, the audience, the family split. They all watch different things in different rooms. They don't sit together. Uh, and the music is really the real problem, is that music rights now have, um, you know, the music unions have gotten together and publishers have, have uh, you know, raised their rates to where it's, it would be impossible to rerun those um Donny Osmond has been trying to get the Donny and Marie show re, re-aired um, he doesn't want to make money off it, but it's going to cost him too much in the in the music clearance and mm. yeah. Damn, you know, I'd love to watch that. They had 15 or so songs, you know, they just whip right through them. So and that which, was when that I was, was a, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that was a real cultural. I mean, I wasn't like a you know Donnie Marie fan, but like I watched that show every week. The first you know I don't know how many years it was on, but. They were part of pop culture. The yeah. you know the medleys yeah. at the you know the you know Paul Lynn was like their uncle. He seemed to be on every every episode, um, and they just were they they were like a fixture for like I don't know four years. That show was on maybe or something. Five, five years actually. There's an interesting thing. Um, uh, Paul Lind, the reason why he was on the show is because he had his own series and it got canceled from ABC. So he was still under contract and they were paying him out his contract, like however much he was making to be, to have his own show. And he was just, that's why, so it was free money for him. I mean, that was the way they, ABC, they didn't pay people off in those days. They said, you go to Donnie and Marie and you work it off. <laughs> <laughs> you work it off. 
you'll be crying when you, you know. But they, <laughs> uh, when I was doing some of this research about the, you know, I always thought like, you know, those bad. I really kind of thought I'd read up on and heard, you know, the worst shows were like Pink Lady and Jeff and da 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 da. And just when you think, you know, you think you know all the bad variety shows, someone told me that they worked on the Peter Marshall Variety Hour. And I almost, I almost had a heart attack. I was like, Peter Marshall? Yeah. You know, there's, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, you know, the, with the disappearance of the variety shows, it's because they started giving them to everyone who had a face. You know, it was like, Pink Lady and Jeff and the Mandrell sisters and the Keen brothers and the, um, uh, you know, there's just so many people that just had their Sonny Bono at his own variety show. And, but Peter, Peter Marshall, I yeah. mean, imagine. And it, 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 they said it was on for like eight or 10 episodes. Like that's how long he was on television. <laughs> and every, and I, and I'm, I'm forgetting her name. Um, she could be the subject of a whole documentary. There was a woman, I can't remember her name, but I will get it for you and you guys can look into her. She was, her husband was a major, like, I'm making this up, like worked for Bounty Paper Towels or something. Owned Bounty Tape Paper Towels, something like that. And every Christmas they thought they would produce like a record because her his husband it was kind of like one of those um oh the uh the the uh, the, uh, the woman uh Zia Piazadora oh Piazadora yeah okay and so she was the singer but she didn't even look like Piazadora not even so I mean she just very ordinary looking and she was a singer so she first I think the first year she released a song and they sent the the records, the little 45s, they sent them in in the packaging of whatever they were they owned. Like it wasn't paper towels; it was something else. Well, the next year, it didn't necessarily become a hit, but they thought, "Hey, you know, why don't I produce a special?" And they did a variety special with this unknown woman, and it's fascinating. It's all completely produced just for home public just just to send home and rich little was in it and he's singing in it. Oh, good. I'll tell you about this. It's almost like a Jan Tara moment. Remember that woman, Jan, uh, and Tara Jan. Um, she's that awful woman that sung those bad music videos in the 70s, in the eighties, Jan. Um, anyway, whatever we go. I don't, I don't know. I think we've, we've, we're probably going to get enough lawsuits already. In this episode. <laughs> I just before we get to Peter, I just I want to circle back to Peter Marshall. If you ever get a chance, check out the movie Mary Jane. It's uh, an anti-marijuana film uh, oh, starring starring Fabian. It's like 1968 too, so it's like really not even timely. And it is written by Peter Marshall. <laughs> really? Yeah. Isn't it? What's the one that Larry Hagman directed? Beware the blob. Is beware the blob. And yeah. isn't what's his name in it? The improv guy, um, Del Close, isn't he in it? It's been so long they, since I tried to watch that. Um, yeah. Close. Wow, what a reference, man. What I, a reference. I think so. I could be getting it wrong, but 
I heard that Hagman was like on LSD when he was directing that film. Oh yeah, he he. It definitely is. A, it's a very strange film. Um, yeah, I don't think Del Close is in it. I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I don't know why I'm. Actually, oh yeah, he is in it. He's a hobo. There uh, you go. Because yeah. each other from um, improv, I think. Yeah, they're both playing hobos in the film. It's been a long time. I just remember that was a that There's was a no, movie they brought back in like eighty or something after Dallas got big and they. They tried to promote it as the movie J.R. Shot. Oh, my gosh. Brian, yeah. not to not to beat you or anything, because it's it's you didn't mean it this way. You were talking about something old. But um, in Santa Clarita, the mayor referred to the homeless people as hobos a couple oh. months ago. Oh, yeah. And man, it was like, gosh, it's, you know, all of a sudden I started thinking about how television you know, shows the homeless person. You know, it's so unbelievably cruel. Oh it's yeah, little, they got the little hobo thing with the stick and the bag. The yeah, and that's how they describe homelessness. Yeah, peeling, peeling apple pies off of window sills that are cooling off. You know, <laughs> they don't. They don't even really depict hobos right because hobos were just transient, like drifters who came into town looking for quick work and and you right. know that they, they weren't they weren't actually um well they were probably some of them were scumbags but they 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 were just kind of people who didn't have a home they weren't necessarily um right uh, homeless right. people i guess you know was there a, a a symbol that was on like if you if your house was hobo friendly yeah carve carve something on the fence the fence front that was like yeah come take our apple pie we're cool it's cool so Mary Jane stars uh, Peter Marshall and Fabian, you say? No, no, it doesn't star Peter Marshall. He wrote it. Um, so, yeah, you know, because he's an expert on drugs. And um, <laughs> it's it's really, I mean, I think I once read the, um, I think I once read the press kit for it somewhere. And it was like. Send your pastor to it, so he'll have an understanding of it, and he can talk about it at the pulpit. And um, yeah, wow. it's just wow. a bizarre move, and it's just like it came out dated. You know, I can only imagine that it was, you know, the minute it hit the theaters, it was. You guys remember the movie uh, The Idol Maker by chance? Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, that's you know that's the real life story. Uh, my I mean, my father grew up with these people. Of um, of this guy named um, gosh, I'm forgetting his name, but he was a he was literally an idol maker, and he found and discovered Frankie Avalon, who was playing sax with a band, and turns him into a star. And then he meets Fabian, who's a busboy, and he turns him into this sex symbol. Oh, Bob Marcucci. Bob Marcucci. Oh gosh, yeah. Um. Wow. What other what and, other podcast? Ron and, and Toba Feldsha plays Rona Barrett, who he uses to kind of, and it's a true story. They just didn't use the right names for some reason. Oh, I see. Peter Gallagher plays Fabian. Oh, I guess that, that they couldn't get the 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 clearances. That makes sense. So it's kind they of like used. Yeah. Plus, I think that was the main reason because um, it wasn't necessary. I think it was the music because. So they just wound up writing original music. In fact, I think the Frankie Avalon song 
was an original song written by um oh i can't think of the guy for road stuff but mgm and fatty arbuckle anyway um that's your go-to yeah got a hit off it anyway Hmm. I don't make her behind the scenes of all that stuff. Well, what other podcast can you get this much information out of to go oh, from variety specials to Return You're not going to gonna get this many Fabian references anywhere. In, in, not even in the Fabian podcast. No, no. You get this many hey, Fabian. Tova Felcha. I mean, come on now. Yeah, that's a good one. You don't hear that much. Uh, well, thank you so much, Steve. For, yeah, this uh, has been a blast. Glad we could do this. And uh, thanks for what a, what a fountain of, of knowledge you are about all this stuff. It's, you know, I interviewed Jay Leno one time. I've interviewed him a couple different times, but one time I interviewed him, and it was a really long interview. And he's like, "So uh, I'm just gonna you're just gonna use one soundbite, right? You're gonna do this whole thing. We'll probably just use one soundbite right now." So I always think about that when I if I do a long podcast or something like, you know, this no. being here's no, a, well, you, from every Steve, second. We're going to try to edit out the pings. We? <laughs> but other than that, everything will be in here. Yeah. Uh, all right. This was great. I'm glad. Yeah. You could... Thank you, Steve. And, well, uh, Ryan. Yeah, it was great. Great. Uh, great having you on and, and nice meeting you. And Steve, the, the documentary is going to be called. A Disturbance in the Force. Why this, the Star Wars Holiday Special happened. Wonderful. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll be getting it by the end of the year, hopefully. Just Google, um, let's see, Disturbance, Star Wars special, um, or documentary, Star Wars special. Um, A lot of articles will come up, and you can watch the trailer that is uh, referenced in almost all the articles. So Wonderful. And we'll add that to, uh, to the podcast itself. That'd be great. Great. Oh, really looking forward to it. All right. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for your support. Thanks again, Jace, for everything. This was fun. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.